Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled The Living Nature of Mormon Covenants, Part 2, originally produced and published by Dan Watherspoon of the Mormon Matters Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Let me circle back probably three or four minutes to the idea of why a vow uh, you know, the, the I did take a vow to this person, or I did make a compact with this group of people, etc. And let's let's add the I think uh, kind of neat thing about covenants, uh, along with most vows like that. There would probably be something this, but every covenant that we make, and that certainly within the Judeo-Christian tradition, is always associated or always um, made in in conjunction with a ritual some sort of ritual act, some sort of time and place and symbolic action, symbolic uh, words, symbolic uh, gestures or whatever, that you can then look back on and say, not only in my memory do I remember saying some words, but I remember a setting. I remember doing these actions. I remember very specifically... uh, you know, getting into this, and and this is more than just like, yeah, I promised to pick up the milk at the end of the, you know, when I come home from work. This is a real thing, and so it, when when that when our uh, our commitment shatters, or, or excuse me, our, our commitment lessens, and we're feeling a little bit like uh, I'm not so sure anymore. I think the covenanting in with a ritual um, companionship is really really an important thing. Um, comments yeah. or or fight back on that. I think the Hebrews had it right. You weren't married by thoughts or words. You were married by sexual intercourse. Mm. And I really think that, uh, <laughs> let's push it, push it the other way. Well, there is a difference between adultery in the heart and sleeping with someone who's not your spouse. Those are mm-hmm. actions. Those are things you remember. Like And so committing in your heart to Jesus versus getting down into the waters of baptism on May 18th, 1960. Yeah, exactly. No, you remember it. I agree with you, Dan. I think the whole idea of bodily form yeah. all the way back, I think Mormons could go all the way back and say, probably there's no such thing as an unformed intelligence. To be something is to be extended mm-hmm. and making capacity of shaking hands with a real resurrected being <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what i mean it, mm-hmm. there is absolutely that it just makes a difference to all of us yeah and besides the event thing there's often usually is accompanied with the ritual i mean not always but at least in some of these key covenant ones there's also usually something you take away with it uh in a wedding you may take away a ring you know in the temple you take away now you're wearing sacred garments you know, yeah. within yeah. other traditions, you you have uh, fringe fringes and tassels at certain points. Uh, you you know you you veil in a different way, uh, depending on status and covenants and different things that you've made. So, uh, mm-hmm. this idea of you know a covenant is a it's more than just a promise. It's it's something real. And then I'm going to just this is just to me. I don't know that it relates exactly here. One of the best things I I think about the Mormon temple. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard people say, why can't we just go through like 100 people at a time, you know, and really move things along here or something like that. One of the best things, I'll let you jump in in a second, Joe. One of the best things about it is, guess what? 
it's you and God or the representative of God one-on-one -on -one for every one of these covenants. You know, sometimes we'll say to ourselves, oh, wouldn't it be great to be like Abraham, to have this covenant with God, you know, and have this moment where we're really, you know, talking together? Or wouldn't it be great to be, you know, one of these Book of Mer Mer Mormon characters that really had these exchanges? Well, in many ways, if we, you know, let ourselves... We are having those exact moments with God uh, through the covenant process, through the temple. It's always one-on-one. -on -one. It's our turn to give the sign, the tokens, etc. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I think that can that adds, I don't know, there's, there's something Absolutely. personal that I yeah. like about that. So. Yeah, Joe, and then a piece oh. I would add to it. Oh, sorry, Joe, go ahead. Oh, this is a side tangent you can take out if it's, but I I did my mission in Germany and they there's a prominent church, I think actually started in England, the Neue Apostolische Kirche, the, the New Apostolic Church that have, they have, you know, uh, modern apostles. And one of the things they, their practices was to baptize, baptize one person every year for everybody who died the previous year. Oh. And that was their baptism for the dead. But I agree, it lacks that one-on-one -on -one, uh, that really is a key, you know, key connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Please add, add on what you're wondering, Jen. Yeah, oh, just I was going to say just two things. One is, you know, absolutely uh, to this personal nature. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I can't really speak to how others in other faith traditions experience it, but... You know, I think this idea, I'll never forget the day of my baptism and the Holy Ghost. It felt so personal. It felt so much like I was really covenanting something with God and God cared and was there and, and it mattered. And then I think the other piece is the way in which the community comes around you. I mean, I just remember like the symbolism of kneeling across the altar with my husband on the other side, my mm -hmm. now husband on the other side. And feeling like all the people in the room cared deeply about the two of us and were sort of sending us off. So I, I know it's just there's just this real beauty in the way in which there's a kind of physical ritual and the um, the way in which in baptism and in many of these covenants, you're surrounded by people that love you. Uh, mm. So I think there's real beauty in that. Yeah. And yeah. even in that ceremony, it evokes angels and others from the other side that are also with you in that moment. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's a sense that it's a community of saints, both on this side of the veil and the other side of the veil. Yeah. Oh, yes. I can only say that. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, yeah, so to me, I guess one of the things I'd want to say to somebody who maybe has regrets because they, you know, they got themselves into something that they wish they'd had more information on or something like that. I, you know, I honor that. I understand that. But I want you folks <laughs> to feel good about yourself. I want you to feel good about yourself as, look at, I believed something. I stood up. I was willing to make a covenant. I am a covenant maker. I am somebody who has that kind of integrity, that kind of uh, willingness to, to you know, have my al alignment with God be what it is. And no matter how it changes throughout your life, how your understanding changes, what doesn't change is that this is the kind of person you are. And I, I want to celebrate that, and I hope that everybody who's listening who's struggling with that would, would feel that. I, I would like to add to that, Dan, by saying I believe our loving Heavenly Father and Mother and angels that are watching um, know that in spades. They look at our yes. hearts and they would only want us 
to live in this purposeful tension of integrity that is always focused on loving outside others with the best of who you are at the moment. And that that covenant you made is to um, that kind of relationship with other people around you. And the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we're talking about temple covenants and building the kingdom of God and establishing Zion. Those are three different aspects, I think, uh, of a covenant. But I won't go into that in detail other than to say, as you mature, if you'd made that covenant when you're eight years old, you know that you'd have a different interpretation of it at 20 and at 30 and at 50 and at 80. We've got to understand that God knows that and expects us to have different feelings, views of, of what that covenant means now. Um, because it was a covenant to honor and love people in your tribe and then in the whole world beyond your tribe, right? Yeah. The kingdom of God and Zion is well beyond your tribe. Yep. And so, you know, that, that, I think that's that's the thing. God knows your heart. That's the tough one, by the way. I'm, I, what I'm trying to say here is I'm not trying to make everybody feel great uh, that that wherever they are, they're doing just the right thing. I'm trying to get everyone to say, go into your heart and try your best to communicate with whatever your highest good is at any point in time in your life. And and I think the challenge on that is it always, for at least Latter-day Saints, is a motion of love for others, doing good for others. If that's your interpretation at that moment is to give tithing outside of Mormonism or to meditate over here or do that. I, I'm, I am convinced by everything that I am that loving heavenly parents will say, fine, if that's your highest uh, way of going now, I applaud it. You have not broken your covenant right. to love, uh, love and serve my children. Mm. Yes, God, uh, the, the scriptures say over and over again that God keeps covenant. Um, I was looking at Deuteronomy, God uh, keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him. I mean, it goes on to some other things that we could, you know, discuss about hating those, but that hate him. But I, I, I think the development and understanding God keeps covenant. And that's, that's a theme that's developed uh throughout the Old Testament into more in the New Testament in the Book of Mormon, uh, the faithfulness of God and God's covenant. I think we can look at what we're doing as emulating that. We're trying to become like God. We're trying to keep covenant, which means to keep in that loving relationship with which with God, which means with our fellow beings. Mm. Yep. Gorgeous. Jennifer, anything right there? I, I have a comment. I, I agree with oh. all of it. <laughs> nice, <Yeah>. nice. Uh, <laughs> my comment is uh, about this is, guess what? Uh, when we talk about, you know, it's okay for our covenants to grow, you know, and to change and our understandings to grow as we grow and as our, our integrity takes us down different paths and things like this. Guess what? Mormonism has it built right in. We get to renew our covenants every week. And there's two ways to look at renew. Like, oh, it's the rubber stamp of my old covenant and my old understanding of it. And I don't feel so good about that. But no, it's that real chance every single week to say, this is my new covenant 
with you based upon this understanding of things like this. And this is the what my um, spiritual uh, commitment to you is this time. And so we have this beautiful thing that, you know, it's like the words, you know, we're so grateful in the prayer, you know, the opening sacrament to get them together to renew our covenants. And it can just be lost in that. But if we really do think of renewing as in I'm a new person, I get to make a new covenant every single time with God, man, we're built for growth. You know, we, we got right. the mechanism right there. Yeah, that, you, you gave the crescendo finale of, that I wanted to come up with. You, oh, you shoot. Cut <laughs> which basically it was the idea of the new and everlasting covenant. Oh, nice. Always new. So what is everlasting? If it's always new, how can it be everlasting? Well, there's an everlasting history of what you have covenanted to do. But there's also this feeling of an everlasting desire to continue to grow in relationships of love. And, and, and you can't define in advance where love will go next. You're, so your covenant in that sense in terms of behaviors is always open. It's always open. And therefore, eternity will not be boring. It's going to all be everlasting and new. So I just I think so when we have these ideas of being sealed like we're in bricks of of right. of wax. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's that's the wrong analogy, right? For for a, a, a relationship that is always new, and why trust is the foundation for eternity. Faith, trust that you trust somehow in this. Whitehead says the whole universe, right, is destroyed every instant and then renewed in the next instant with the addition of all the influences of choice that have been made in that instant. And I I think that goes very much along with what you were saying, Dan, that that, uh, in fact, you could talk about the infinite atonement, infinite in what sense? Does it mean it's always the same or does it mean it's efficacious forever in ever opening ways, right? It's it's a it's a fascinating way I think of of again like I say making eternity interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, when you were kind of talking about everlasting and and all that kind of stuff, it reminds me of the only way I can ever make sense of the scriptures that say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, is yeah. that it is a God that is the same in I will always be committed to relationship with you. I will always, you know, work to my infinite extent to, to share with you uh, the possibility of greater relationality of greater love of more abundance and stuff like that. That's the only way that God is the same yesterday and forever. So when people say, Oh, it looks like God changed his mind or God is different or something because of scriptures, man, abandon that. It is, you know, trust, trust that being. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree completely. I love where you went with that. Yeah, I'd never thought about the renewal of our covenants in that way. I think that's a brilliant way to think about it. And I think, you know, even in marriage or parenting, you know, it's not a static promise. Like, I can't remember which of you brought up the idea of, you know, a person who's always changing. What does it mean to commit? And similarly, I think, is the idea of, you know, what does it mean to love my spouse today in this context, in this challenge, this pressure. You know, I see so many couples in which one person's in a faith transition or, you know, one person wants things in the marriage that the other doesn't want. Um, And 
you know, what does it mean to love this person? Uh, what is the right choice, the right decision? It's an evolving organism. It's an evolving, uh, the marriage is an evolving organism. It's not a static reality. And that's why love is so challenging, I think, because it means the discerning and the choosing and the growing that's inherent to loving. Uh, I think that's what we're committing to in marriage um, and in any meaningful covenant, I think. Amen. Mm. Yes. Well, um, okay. Uh, we're now at about an hour and five minutes, you guys, and I just wanted to say what, what else is new? Uh, Joe, you brought up some things uh, in your earlier question saying, uh, as our understanding of... Uh, where authority resides changes. You know, sometimes we're early on, we give moral authority to others to tell us what's right or wrong and eventually has to shift with us. And so your question was, do covenants shift along with authority as it shifts within you? Have we kind of covered that through tangentially or does anyone have a, you know, a, a way to laser in right on that particular nexus? Well, I, I think mostly, but I want to say one thing that may be obvious, but I think as we're saying that when we talk about a shift to internal authority that isn't a selfish uh like i am now the uh the ultimate the arbiter stand, of, the, yeah, the ultimate yeah, yeah, arbiter yeah. standard of reality um it's it's a uh it's a shift to a relationship with you can say god or you can say the highest within us um if you but it, it's it's a shift away from having others define for you what that relationality is so um i just want to make make sure that is out on the table and then uh the but the relationship uh commitment to relationship with uh god and with others and and what that means for covenant i think means it's it's a different, under, a more expansive understanding of it that can maybe resolve some of the particularities that we might run into that, that uh, I'm not sure I'm saying this very well, the sort of pharisaical definitions, perhaps, of if I have a sense that I uh, should do that I should do something on the Sabbath for a relationship with a family that's not, wasn't taught by my primary teachers growing up as something to do, you know, that might be one simple example um, that you're looking at honoring God. You know, the Sabbath is about honoring God as opposed to uh, a list of rules. So, so your, your idea of what a covenant means can certainly be more expansive and more, if you will, the spirit of the law or the, the love of the law. I think right. um, nice. on this point, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable that some of our listeners might come away um, from this saying, well, these guys are a bunch of relativists. I mean, there's nothing that you can't do if you feel good about doing it. God will smile on anything you feel good about doing. And uh, no promise is a promise that can be really kept because we really can't know in advance what the circumstances are. In other words, uh, I could see some... If, if they would still be listening to this by now, uh, <laughs> would, would be saying, holy smokes, these, these guys don't get what it means to be a Marine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To keep uh -huh. your damn promise and go <laughs> to death for the team, okay? No ambiguity. You go up the hill. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I really think there's something in all human male and female guts that admires this choice in in the in the fog mm-hmm. that says i am going to do this i'm i'm horton the elephant you know i'm the egg 100% you know what i mean protect this um, yeah right and so i don't want to give any of my hearers the feeling that i depreciate someone who places loyalty as a very very high value maybe Absolutely. You know, it's I, and, and in that sense, uh, I'm trying to say not what to do where, with love. Um, in any case, I'm saying you have a hard choice to make every day of what to do with love, and yeah. th- that loyalty can put you in very difficult circumstances. For example, a couple who has decided that they have different religions and they have children that they're raising. That's not. That's not easy. That's not a lovey-dovey, let's just be nice to each other thing, that has deep ramifications for how those kids are going to be socialized, what they believe, and, and it's, it's hard work to decide what to do in those cases. Uh, what their loyalty and their vow to God and each other means when their conscience goes in those different directions. So I don't mean to depreciate the problem that brought this whole subject up. I don't think there is a resolution for the pain um, I think there is a peacefulness that can come in the pain um, by doing the things that we all have at least discovered in our lives, going to your going to the Lord in, or to your higher power and trying to get some alignment between what it is love and, and what you're faced yeah. with. But um, I think part of the deal is to have these very issues unresolved. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Faith I'd like to have to do them. I'd like to, an example comes to mind, I'd like to share of a, of a friend of mine who's um, Catholic, who has uh, for many years been housebound with, I mean, she's she's like my age, she's an adult, she's been housebound with a disabled parent for, um, because that's the only way to uh, keep care of this parent who's ventilator dependent for years and the the covenant and the love and the sacrifice that that has been an example to me of something that i have not had no experience anywhere near that i want to honor that kind of um covenant and sacrifice that some people do i i wince as you tell that story i i would hope i have the loving integrity to you know to serve that way it just seems so hard to give your life up to someone who might be a vegetable. You know what I mean? It's just, right. oh, 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 why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no question that that kind of loyalty is a function of great moral courage. And maybe what I, what I would say is sometimes, again, maybe I'm just always looking at counterfeit forms of these in the kind of work I do. Sometimes we use the word loyalty right. t- to stay in a marriage that's really about masking that we're staying there out of fear and out of use of another, the security that we sort of mm. take from the marriage, wow. not because it's really about love and moral courage. And so I, uh, I, I never would want to diminish the moral courage of staying loyal, even when things are very, very hard. 
when it's truly, you know, it's right and it's stretching you like crazy. What I tend to want to also look at is sometimes how we slap virtuous words onto behaviors that are more self-serving than we we can acknowledge at times. So, wow, Jennifer, that was wow. a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, that's powerful. that's yeah, critical. The difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Randy, in, in this last little round, uh, you started with a very interesting uh, observation about what some listeners might think, that we're all relativists, <laughs> and, and then you went in kind of in a different direction. I personally don't feel like a relativist. How is it that you uh, resolve why you're not a relativist? Uh, is there a, a, a one-minute kind of angle? Uh, you're probably relativistic on certain things, but, but where is it that makes you feel like you're just not an anything goes, I can justify anything because it's my heart's desire I, at this I'm, moment? I'm, I think I'm part of this uh, postmodern move toward relationalists, mm -hmm. right? There, uh, I am not I. We are in relations, and therefore, um, whatever reality is, is always tested in a negotiation with my environment and the people around me and um the i and one sense and i include by the way I, that's why this is this is the mormon luxury i include the holy spirit as a person jesus uh, heavenly father heavenly mother angels they're all persons that are in my environment okay as well as uh, more mortal looking things around me and so i see the the way I'm not, reason I'm not a relativist is I take with trust the environment around me and negotiate what we seem to think is best to do. And we, we're not absolutists either. We're relationalists. So we're not making absolute claims, but we're not saying anything goes. We're saying we value this more than this. And if you're part of this team, you're going to do it this way. That's how I, that's how I get out of it or not get out of it as if, yeah, but that's, 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 I think th that is the answer, <laughs> at least for me too. Did anybody else want to talk about why they're not relativists or is it always in relationality with other entities that are ends in themselves and not just means to our own selfish desires? No, that's well stated. Yeah. Everyone else, they are not a thing. Okay. They're not a means to an end. Yeah. Right. 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 They have their own wants and desires, yeah. Um, as I look at the questions that some of you posed, and again, we're moving towards an end here, uh, did you feel like uh, we did enough? We never really said it out loud, but Joe, on does, is the concept of covenant uh, obsolete in today's world or in today's Mormonism or for somebody who's on a journey that's maybe taking them, you know, away from Mormonism? Is, is the idea itself obsolete or have we, have we kind of championed the idea sufficiently to say it's not? Well, I would hope we've made a good case for people to consider. I mean, I think, uh, you know, for some people, their faith journey goes towards what they might call atheism. Um, I would argue you go far enough down that path, you may be closer to God than you realize. Um, but that's another discussion. But uh, you know, so they may find that the language of covenant doesn't resonate. But I hope they would find the language right. of um, loyalty or uh, relationality 
or you know the or the uh, balance of loyalty and integrity i hope that would resonate and and to me that's just another way of saying covenant yeah. nice nice anyone else on obsolete versus it's still a lively term that we should uh, keep part of, as part of our thought process i mean i would say in, oh i'm sorry to interrupt uh, you know i was gonna say you know despite my story about rage and so on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're not laughing yeah. that you felt rage. I promise that. I, I was worried the last time when I laughed yeah. no, and no, teased. No. Uh, that was uh, not but it. That I was so do powerful. Really, looking back on my life, even though I do uh, see myself in a relationship to God and the church differently than when I was younger, that I think that process of promising was very valuable for my development as a person. You know, I I'll never forget like the day after my baptism. I remember. Um, thinking like, okay, I have to like keep it together and be perfect for the next, you know, say 78 years because my way of thinking. Yeah, right. <laughs> and yeah. so at least day one, I had high pressure on myself to really, and I, I remember I um, bumped into my brother who was, you know, seven or so. And uh, he was like, ah, you know, Jennifer, stop. You know? And I would have normally been like, it was an accident. <laughs> and I remember just in this moment thinking, I need to be kind. And so I remember just saying, I'm sorry. Mm. I did, I'm sorry I bumped into you. And then I remember he looked startled and then he said, that's okay. And I remember just thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, like that's a whole mm. different experience and a way of being in relationship to my brother just like felt new and it felt good. And, and, and I just think there's been many, many times in which my own promising to live in a higher way has clearly pressured me to be a more developed, better human being and a person capable of more joy, really, in my life. So I'm very grateful for it, even though the way in which I entered into those often is a very different way than how I think of it now. But yeah, I, I, this idea of renewal and redefinition is a very powerful one for me, just thinking about the way it's been framed today. I, uh, I'd like to tell a quick story in response to the relevance of um, loyal promises. Um, one of my daughters was having a deep crisis in her life when she was a teenager, off the edge, all the things you think about. And I remember my wife and I were in semi-despair. And one night I remember I was sitting, I remember the place, I, talk about ritual, Dan. I remember the place I was sitting, yeah, right. right? And uh, yeah. Uh, now a sacred I, place. Uh, for some yes. reason, I flipped open the darn hymn book to How Firm a Foundation. And uh, I read the last darn verse. That soul who on Jesus has mm -hmm. rest for repose, I never will leave to his foes. You know, I'll never forsake. Uh, and I realized that that verse was spoken by Jesus. That was spoken by Jesus. And if we are all to be Christ's, we all should look at each other that way. If people who have relied on us, our trust, who have trusted our promises, we're not going to, um, we're not going to desert them. And somehow, boy, that felt so powerful to me that God was not going to desert my daughter. I didn't have to worry. In other words, in the long run, somehow. I almost became an evangelical, you know? Uh, so, yeah. 
Yeah. She already saved Jesuit, right? I want people who I know that rely on me to kind of know evangelically they're already saved in my book. They can rely on me wherever they go. And in that sense, I'm, I'm Christ-like. So I just wanted to share that with you, that that's the covenant. That's, we were in the pre-mortal life, darn it. We put our heads in his and lies in his hands, our great, our great story. It's a myth, but I take it to be real and as real can be for me is we, he promised, he promised, darn it. And we then have to trust that promise and it gets us through. And I think that we do that for each other in eternity. I don't think this is the first round that we've done it. And I think we'll do it again in the future. There's something really wonderful about love being proven in a crucible. And we all kind of want it to be that way. We don't want it to be easy love. Otherwise, eh, you know, yeah. Mm, hey, yeah. what do you want, right? What, what have you got? Yeah. Super. Uh, just looking at the list again, uh, you, you might have had something to say, Joe, that we haven't really provided the uh, right forum yet. Uh, fear versus yeah, yes. love-based covenants. Did, yes. did you have a little more that you wanted to explain yeah, on that? Yeah, maybe I could um, quote a little bit of Section 121 that I think is well known for good reason. But it says, no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned. And it goes on, of course. And uh, and we could you know, easily uh, translate that to say, no covenant can or ought to be maintained only by love um, and not by fear. Um, and and it, one thing I find interesting is that verse and that those series of verses that you know talk about uh, the uh, thy dominion coming unto the uh, everlasting without compulsory means. Um, all that comes in the middle of a uh, much longer letter from Liberty Jail that also has a lot of um, a very harsh language about you know people that have been traitors and things like this. So enemies, yeah. Right. All of that. So I think it's it's an example of uh, of pure uh, a light coming through in a very uh, mixed and messy um, uh, earthly circumstance. Um, you know, just like the Psalms are full of sublime language and then they're also full of language of, you know, God smite this person, you know, kind of thing. So uh, you know, that's just our humanity, but I think that's really where a covenant, if it is going to be eternal, has to be through love and not through fear. And I don't know if I'll, well, maybe can I just read a couple of uh, sentences from Dieter F. Uchtdorf's talk in the last uh, conference. He said, it, fear can have a powerful influence over our actions and behavior, but that influence tends to be temporary and shallow. Fear rarely has the power to change our hearts, and it will never transform us into people who love what is right and want to obey Heavenly Father. People who are fearful may say and do the right things, but they do not feel the right things. Um, there may be moments when we are tempted to justify our actions by believing that the end justifies the means. We might even think that being controlling, manipulative, and harsh will be for the good of others. Not so. But the Lord has made it clear that the fruit of spirit of the Spirit is joy, I'm sorry, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And then he goes on to say, God is our mentor. I love that as a, uh, that is, you know, that is who I, um, 
experience God to be as our mentor. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I'm glad that I had you revisit, or I'm glad I revisited that from your early list. Uh, let's just move towards it. And Randy, just did we catch everything that you wanted to say about identity and changing or whether we're static human beings or not. Uh, so therefore what's the judgment all about? Uh, it, it seemed like we've probably more than any of the others. We, we kind of have played in those areas uh, that obviously we're changing human beings and stuff, but was there an insight or anything there that we didn't uh, give you a chance to weigh in with? I think uh, that one's a, that's a big subject. We could talk about identity in some comp and some future uh, conversation. Uh, I, I feel really we adequately treated it here. I will take a little riff, though, giving you on on uh, what uh, Joe just said, which goes along with your question, Dan, and that is the 121st section. The way I've studied that section, I see that as a um, a model of the way God will negotiate with us. Joseph Smith starts out by saying, "Where the heck are you? You've been letting me down." I haven't had a revelation from you in a long time. I'm, <laughs> I'm in deep gutka. The church is going down. I'm in jail, right? Um, and, and God comes back and says, hey, you know, uh, yeah, but uh, other people have had it bad too, you know. And and then he says, and, and take down my enemies and kill them and murder them, maim them, do whatever. You, they're so evil. And God comes in and says, yeah, they are kind of bad, really. I mean, I mean, Jennifer, he's acting like a therapist. Yeah, they're kind of bad. They really are bad. I, I will take them down for you. If you really want me to, I'm going to do that. And, and sort of backs off and says, well, I, I actually, uh, you know, I, now that you're here, I'd like to talk to you about some things. And and uh, let's give me some revelation. And there she comes up, whether there be gods, many or not. I'm not I, I'll talk to you about that. And revelation is going to come down on the Latter-day Saints, like uh, the Great Missouri River. And, and so it starts. You know, so they go into that conversation where God is kind of mirroring, mirroring what Joseph Smith is is feeling. And then we go to the great crescendo of what authority is um, and what what the power of God is. And there's no scripture that I know of that's better on that deep subject that authority is not top down. We get it wrong authority mm. we have this law of common consent that underscores it but it's deeper than that it authority comes from below it comes from the, the uncompulsory desire to mm. relate with another person to give that which cannot be commanded even by god mm. which is your full-hearted love and willingness to be in relationship god doesn't i mean it's it's a fantastic piece of work but but it's relational all the way. I, I mean, God doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't give him the good stuff at the beginning. He helps him through the whole process. And I think that's a good way of seeing our own lives when it comes to this question. What a fantastic panel, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> this has gone in so many wonderful and deep th- directions, uh, far more profound than I imagined us. I, I kind of thought we were going to do uh, just straight out therapy, but we, you know, or, or at least, uh, at least kind of like, Hey man, let's, let's uh, reframe. Let's, uh, let's expand our perspectives. And uh, boy, we did high level thinking and practical storytelling and, 
everybody just shared their hearts and I'm, I'm, I'm just couldn't be more thrilled. Is there anything I'll just go in order of how I introduced you, uh, Randy, then Jennifer, then Joe, any final thought as we head out to the close? I'd just like to spend a few more hours with Jennifer and Joe. Um, <laughs> future. Um, I hope we don't have to wait until the millennial table is set. Until <laughs> <laughs> we gather around the board. Yes. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> drink, drink wine in the new, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. in the kingdom again with, with the Lord and all, all of each other. Yep. Right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, thank you, Randy. You've been wonderful. And it's so great to have you back on the show and yeah. continued success with everything you're doing. Thank you so much, brother. Jennifer? Yeah, well, I just have maybe a kind of a renewed appreciation for Mormonism and Mormons. <laughs> hey, uh, just hey. listening to all of, just to listening to this this conversation because I think our theology has so much richness and beauty in it. Uh, sometimes we, I think, focus on the worst bits and not on the kind of the depth and you know the relationality of God and the evolution of souls and of covenant and it's, it's beautiful stuff. And I just appreciate um, really solid thinking Mormons like like all of you here on the panel. So, yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. You are in the group. <laughs> you're, you're in that you're in that category, and uh, we so appreciate you. you. Always give such great time. You know, it dawned on me too. All three of you are donors to Mormon Matters as well. So thank you for a long time supporting not only by coming on the show and and all that stuff, but through that uh, as well, Joe. Also a donor and a good friend of the show. Thank you again for proposing this topic. What else is on your heart to say as we as we come to a close? I don't have anything else to say except thank you. It's been a privilege, and I'm privileged to be in this uh, bit of a relationship we've had here and look forward to the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here. 